It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Ash Vernon once said, What they don't tell you about standing up for what you believe is that your feet will bruise and your legs will ache. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary, as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. Look for the Seek Your Rewind button on our episode pages. Another great companion is our all-new Bible study notes, an easy-to-follow, single-page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study or for your Bible study group. Check them out by clicking on the Bible study tab on our homepage, and we also do video. Look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what are we talking about today? I think we have one of your favorite subjects, huh? Not really, Rick. (laughs) Okay. Our question is, what is Satanism? Our theme text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I am afraid that, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. All right, so the question, what is Satanism? In a lot of ways, the world is scary. There is an anything-goes mentality that surrounds us, and this gives us the feeling that there is no buffer between us and the dark worldly or spiritual influences that exist. One of these dark influences is reflected in the rising popularity of Satanism. When we hear that word, Satanism, we may form a frightening, even hideous image in our minds of dark, occult, and bloody, sacrifice-based rituals. This image is most likely a serious distortion of the truth. Now, does this mean we are defending Satanism as a wholesome practice? Absolutely not. I figured you'd just jump right in there. (laughs) It does mean we want to know exactly what we're dealing with so we can understand exactly how to keep ourselves and others from being manipulated by ungodly influences. So, coming up in today's podcast, what exactly is Satanism? Is it a legitimate religion? Does God recognize it as a thing? After we get a grasp of the magnitude of Satan himself in our first segment, we'll directly address what Satanism is in our second segment. Because most Satanists don't actually worship Satan, is it fair to say that they follow his influence? Our third segment takes a unique look at how closely Satanism is modeled after the deceiver himself. And finally, is there a difference between a Satanist and just being an idolater? How easily can these things get into our heads? Segments four and five tell us how to prepare for this insidious battle, and we also talk a little bit about demon possession. Rick, Satanism is something to stay away from, but not for the reasons you may think. Okay. So, what does that mean? Well, let's get started. Let's take a look at 
if we want to understand Satanism, we should understand Satan first. So there's lots of words that describe Satan in Scripture. We're going to focus on one specifically at this point, and the word is for the devil. And, and Jonathan, what, what does the devil actually mean? Well, it means traducer, and it means to expose to shame or blame by means of falsehood and misrepresentation, violate and betray. None of that is very good. No, no, no. So the devil, the the uh, the bringer of falsehood and misrepresentation and violation and betrayal. That's what Satan is described as. Let's go to a quick soundbite. Uh, it's uh, a YouTube video called "True Monsters: The Origin and Evolution of Satan," and it's from uh, history. And again, it gives you a feeling of what Satan is and was and is represented by. And it may not all be factual, but it gives you what people perceive. But then rebelled against God and took a number of angels with him. And so there's a civil war of sorts going on in the heavenly realm. And he's, he's the head of the whole thing. Since the Middle Ages, he's been depicted as you know this red beast with horns and pitchfork and hoofs and tail. There's a reason why Satan looks like he does, and one need look no further than Pan, the god of the mountain wild and Greek mythology, to see the real roots of Satan's diabolical persona. Pan, the god of fertility, had cloven hooves and a tail and horns, symbolizing lust. And, of course, the early Christians were not fond of lust as a positive thing. So, using this, these pagan symbols, they evolved into being projected on what would be considered something evil. There's something about the fusing of the animal and the human that is terrifying to us. It represents something that we fear might be inside of us, this animalistic side that, that wants to devour and kill. So, you know, it gives you a sense of the imagery that Satan garnered throughout history. And Jonathan, I think one of the things that we need to understand right off the bat is that imagery is not at all true. No, it's not. You know, Satan had a very, very magnificent appearance originally. And it's not to say that he doesn't have still some kind of magnificence in his appearance. And it's just not this diabolical, red-horned beast. I don't think that that's at all what scriptures talk about. But that's what we all conjure up in our brains. So we're already off track, you know, in terms of what we're looking for if we're trying to figure out who Satan is. So let's look at scripturally what Satan is and, 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 and what he does. He is the betrayer, the opponent of all that's good. You know, it's interesting, in our next segment, we're going to go right to the very first activities of the human, human race, but we're first going to start with the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 12, verse, 12, verse 9, as it talks about Satan. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Okay, so you've got several descriptions of Satan. Now, none of these are giving you a sense of what he looks like. The great dragon, the serpent, the devil, and Satan. The bottom line is he is cast down away from God. The following scripture describes how Satan became the opponent of God. This is a prophecy from Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. 
But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. So it talks about this morning star being... The Lord gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh service in which you have been enslaved, that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, how the oppressor has ceased and how fury has ceased. So, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. They say take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. And so, you know, detractors will say, well, see, it's talking about the king of Babylon. But, Jonathan, we know that it's prophetically talking about something much bigger than that. It it does. And it sounds like, Rick, this is showing an ending of satanic influence. This is a a relief. Uh, Oh, it's done. It's over. It's gone. Uh, Kind of uh, verse. Yeah, how the oppressor has ceased and how the fury has ceased. So it's giving a sense of Satan falling from heaven. And then the what's going to happen is it's going to be over. Yes. So, and so we're not going to go into the explanation of how we understand this actually is uh, a description of Satan. We've got that in CQ Rewind bonus material, much more of a description on that. So you can take a look at that. It's a free service from uh, Christian Questions based on this podcast. And also, Jonathan, just so folks know, we do have a CQ Kids video uh, that's, uh, that's called Who is Satan? You might want to check that out on our YouTube channel as well. Let's go back to history, True Monsters, The Origin and Evolution of Satan. The first soundbite was about the imagery of Satan, and it it introduced the idea of Pan, who was the god of the mountain wild, the god of fertility, and, you know, this, this imagery of man and beast combined. Well, now this takes history a little bit further than that. Pan and Satan fascinated the famous poet Dante, who took liberties with both characters and crafted the Inferno. Dante is a great example of the power of a compelling story. He creates this elaborate hell, and then, you know, a thousand years later, we're all taking this as kind of religious canon. And that's because it's good storytelling, and it's great detail. And it resonates with us kind of emotionally. And so we take it and we assume that it's always been true. Okay, so you get this sense of um, history that goes through and, you know, you're, you're not seeing everything the way it's supposed to be seen. You've, you've got something going on and you're building this image based on people's perceptions. And Rick, what he perceived Dante in explaining in his book really took off and influenced many, yeah. many people. Yeah, it really did. It really, really did. So, and, and, and people today even think about hell in terms of Dante's Inferno. It's a story. <laughs> okay. But let's get back to the Isaiah 14 scripture because it gives us a sense of what was really happening. I will ascend into the heavens, is what uh, Lucifer, Satan said. Yeah, it's interesting. He was already on the holy mount of God. We know that because the scripture in Ezekiel tells us that. He also says, I will exalt my above the stars of God. Now, see, he was already one of the stars of God. He says, I'm going to exalt my throne higher than that. He also said, I will sit in the mount of congregation in the uttermost parts of the north. And that's where, scripturally, we understand God abides. So he's really going going way, way out. 
Then he says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Okay, so above the influence of God's presence with man. So he's saying, I'm going to go above all of that. And lastly, he says, I will make myself like the Most High. Okay, not replacing, but rivaling the Most High. I am going to be a rival to the Most High. And we're going to see how he actually sought to do that. So Jonathan, you know, everybody talks about doing PowerPoint presentations. Sure. Well, we want to make PowerPoints in this particular discussion about Satanism because we're discussing sources of power and what we should be focusing on and what we should be running from. What's our first power point? Lucifer wanted dominion, power, and authority, and usurped that which he had no right to. So he was after things that were above and beyond what he had any right to and should not have gone there. We need to be careful of that ourselves. So it seems like Lucifer was the first to have an entitlement attitude. Certainly not a good example to follow. What is Satanism? Are there different types? What does it have to do with the rebellion of Satan? We're excited to be hearing from our growing listening audience at ChristianQuestions.com through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also chat with us now during the live broadcast. You know what would be really awesome? If you can leave us a review when you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. It helps us reach even more people. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing. Now, let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. With the basic picture of the adversary in place, we can now move on to defining the concept of Satanism. What we will find is in some ways fascinating and in other ways predictable. The bottom line will end up being along the lines of humans choosing what makes them comfortable to believe. And I think that is something we need to be very, very aware of. Humanity, we as human beings, seek out things we want to believe in that make us comfortable. Satanism, turns out, as we will see, makes some people very comfortable. So let's begin to look into this. What we need to do now is open the door to understand Satanism. We first need to put in place how sin takes hold on the human heart and mind. John, the Apostle John, explains this in a very simple way. First John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. And again, this is about how sin takes hold of the human heart and mind. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So John talks about the lust, or desire of the flesh, the lust, or desire of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And he's saying these three things exist, and what we find with every sin is that it has at least one of these three elements in it. That's right. This is important to understand as we look at and try to grasp what Satanism is. So what's our power point right here as we begin defining Satanism? Well, Rick, Satan applies his desire for control over humanity in the very places we are vulnerable. That is the most important thing. We look for the things that are going to make us comfortable, but generally where we are comfortable, we are also vulnerable. Let's keep that in mind. Now, let's look into defining what Satanism actually is. And we took this from What is Satanism from a uh, YouTube uh, site called Religion for Breakfast. Okay, so this is defining Satanism. 
When you hear the word Satanism, what comes to mind? For many, it conjures scary images of cloaked figures, orgies, and blood sacrifices conducted in basements. Or maybe it brings to mind high-profile political stunts, like setting up a satanic statue in a courthouse to help draw attention to the separation of church and state. Now, Satan definitely has a lot of stereotypes around him. In the Christian tradition, at least, he's viewed as the adversary to God, the king of demons, and the personification of evil itself. But today, Satanism is a broad term for a diverse group of people that view Satan as a model or a symbol or a force around which they can structure their lives. Okay, so it's talking about defining Satanism using Satan as a symbol or a force around which people can structure their lives. So, so Rick, this is saying that most Satanists don't believe in Satan? That's correct. That is oh. absolutely, positively correct. That is fascinating. Yeah, it, it's not something you'd expect. Okay? No. So what do we do? Okay, because the majority of Satanists don't believe in Satan as an actual being, they model themselves after him. That's what they say. So they're modeling themselves after somebody they don't believe in. Well, how do they do this? Well, they model themselves after what Satan is said to have done. In their minds, it's a, it's a fictional story. Satan, as we have seen, seeks control. Here's how he applied that desire for control. Now, we, we discussed that in the first segment with that Isaiah scripture, describing how he wanted to be like the Most High. Here is how he tried to do that. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the tree of the, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Okay. So the serpent, it says he's crafty and he's, he brings up and he has a conversation with Eve and well, didn't God tell you you can eat from all the trees? And she says, yeah, but except for this one. And he says, okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. Um, um, she, so she's, she's being very specific about, well, God said not to do this because of that. Here is what Satan's response is. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So he contradicts what she understands. And he simply says, oh, no, no, you won't die. God, you know, I think you must have misunderstood what God said. So he lies. He lies, he lies, he lies. And even though his argument was, was based on a lie, it still was logical and compelling to her. It caused Eve to pause and consider. And in that moment, that comfortable moment of considering, that vulnerable moment, she was now exposed. And so here's what her thinking process looks like. Verses, or, or verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3 actually incorporates those three items of sin that we mentioned in First John. So Jonathan, as you read through it, just insert where each of those items shows up. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, pride of life, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So Satan's lie got her to consider something that she wouldn't have even thought about 
because God said, don't go there. And her response was, okay, I won't. But Satan says, oh, no, no, no. There's not going to be a consequence. Don't worry. Don't sweat it. Take a look at how nice it looks. And so now she considers something that she knew she shouldn't have originally, but she was deceived. She walks into the decision to take things upon herself. That's what Satanism is built upon, making that decision for me, because it's me making it for me. That's, the, that's one of the bases of Satanism. Let's go back to what is Satanism, religion for breakfast, and they break Satanism into a diff- couple of different categories, which I think is, is important to understand. What he's going to talk about now is rationalist Satanism. There are Satanists that are atheists, and there are Satanists that actually believe in Satan as a being that they can follow. Some scholars have called these esoteric Satanists and rationalist Satanists. Rationalist Satanism, sometimes called atheistic Satanism, views Satan as a symbol of rebellion, individuality, carnality, and empowerment. These groups don't worship Satan. They don't even believe that he exists as a being. Instead, these groups see the Satanists as a practical stance to life, a nonconformist path of self-realization. Groups that fall under this category include the Satanic Forum in Denmark and the Church of Satan, founded by the author and occultist Anton LaVey in the 1960s. Okay, so a rationalist Satanist doesn't believe in Satan as a being, but uses the principles of what Satan has stood for as principles for themselves. Um... We just want to take a couple of lines excerpted from whatissatanism.com to just give a sense on the origin of Satanism. Anton LaVey created Satanism and brought it to the public in 1966. The Satanic Bible published in 1969 is the primary and authoritative source of Satanism. Satanism explicitly holds the highest regard for individualism. There are no political protests, statutes, churches, public covens, grottos, or remote charter membership. LeVay did not claim to have any spiritual communication or Gnosticism. Satanism's foundation is rational thought. LeVay stresses that it is up to the individual to know themselves and all mankind as carnal animals. Personal exploration through unclouded rational thought is critical for a Satanist. Okay, so it gives us the basis of this rational thinking. It's based on rational thought. And that's the, the, the resounding theme that goes through all of LeVay's thinking and a lot of what the Satanists talk about. It's, hey, we're basing our, 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 our thinking and our actions on rational human thought. It's not dark, it's not evil, we're not sacrificing animals, it's rational human thought. And you think, Rick, that's surprising, because that's not what you would apply to the word Satanism. No, but that that is exactly what it is based on. Now look, there are some forms of Satanism that do go off in in darker tangents, but the the main body is about rational thinking. Now, I, I keep saying that, it's like, wow, is Rick saying that, you know, Satanism isn't so bad? No. No, 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 no. Please, no. (laughs) No, but what we're saying is we want to understand what it is and then work with understanding the reality rather than some imaginary um, uh, conjuring of our own minds to get to to, to what we think. So let's get one more more soundbite. And this is interesting. This is an actual late 70s, early 80s 
interview with Anton LaVey. Now, he's the founder of the uh, um, Church of Satan. Okay, He's the writer of the Satanic Bible uh, in 1969. And uh, so this is part of an interview they did with him many, many years ago. Godhead resides within oneself. I believe that man creates gods in accordance with his own needs. And if he doesn't, someone else will create them for him. Who or what is Satan to you? Satan is the essence of that which dwells within myself. Would you explicitate this? Satan is the pioneer, the inventor, Prometheus. Satan has always been the scapegoat, the other, as Thomas Saz, the psychiatrist, calls him. He has always been the opposition to what has been established at the time, the counterbalance that creates change, that creates evolution, that sets the climate socially for modification. Because without this so-called evil, there could be no change. It's interesting how he takes so many things. This guy is a smart man. Okay, you know, he's passed away, but he, he, he was a smart individual. And he talks about the idea that, first of all, man creates gods to fill needs within themselves. Okay? That's true. Yes, that is true. And interesting, let's think about the lie of Satan, which had a basis in truth. Okay? And then let's think about what Satanism stands for. Okay? He calls Satan the pioneer, the inventor. Why? Because he bucked the system. He went against what was said. He was a pioneer. He went in a direction nobody else had ever gone. And he's, That's true. Yes, that is true. Okay? Calls him the other. This is one of the attractive points for people who are attracted to Satanism because they don't feel like they fit in somewhere and you feel like you're sort of on the outside looking in, then this is for you because you are the other. Okay? A, 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 a drawing in. The opposition or the counterbalance you know, opposition isn't necessarily a counterbalance, but he describes it that way. So he's giving you this sense of, wow, there's really goodness in here. And there's, there's that individuality that we so uh, highly, um, highly uh, um, recognize that we want to be part of. So it's interesting how he describes Satanism. That, that, was, that was Anton LaVey in, in, a, in an interview. We're going to come back to that interview a little bit later. And he was saying a counterbalance is good. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, and you know, look, sometimes you need a counterbalance, but, but opposition be a, against good is not good. And so you mix things and you just kind of gloss over them. And it's, you've got a, a rationality that seems to flow through. And you say, well, okay, that doesn't seem so bad. That doesn't seem so bad. Hey, this is pretty good. Hey, it's about me. Hey, now that's really good. That's how we get there. And here's the thing, Jonathan. Satan gathers followers, and oftentimes they are unknowing followers. Let's get 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Okay. It says, the one who practices righteousness is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Now look, 
anybody who practices sin, if you say to them, hey, look, you know, that was wrong. You know that you're of the devil. They're going to be like, what, are you crazy? <laughs> but the point is that when we go against that which is godly and righteous, it is sinful. And when we are doing that, that is of the devil. Now, it doesn't mean you're a devil worshiper, but you're following the principles that he opened up for us. That's what it means. And that's where we need to begin to be very, very careful. And see, Jonathan, this is much more subtle than the vision of Satanism as being this dark, full of bloody sacrifices thing. And that's why we have to be very, very careful, Rick. Right. So what, what's our PowerPoint for this to end this segment? Satanism is submitting to human rational thought with no godly spiritual guidance. Submitting to human rational thought with no godly spiritual guidance. Human rational thought is not necessarily bad, okay? No. But it has to be guided, and that's what we want to be focusing on. So for a Christian, this is where the giant warning flag should be furiously waving, don't go there. For most of us, Rational human thought is a good thing. Should we be really that worried about it? It's been a privilege and exciting interacting with our listeners all over the world. Reach out to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com. In addition to always continuing the conversation on our website, in social media, and our YouTube channel. Learn more about becoming a Christian Questions Ambassador. There are several impactful ways you can help us continue to spread the gospel message. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, click on About Us, then select Ways to Support CQ. Join our incredible team of volunteers and find out more. Now back to Rick and Jonathan. Here's the thing, Jonathan. We are surrounded by human thoughts. The obvious problem is that all of our human thoughts are not rational in the sense of being detached from emotion and solely based on facts. This is where our dividing lines between our Christianity and Satanism should be bold and dramatic. See, we need to have dividing lines, and they don't need to be questionable or wondering or, you know, just like tracing something lightly. It needs to be that line in the sand that is unmistakable. You mean it's not gray? <laughs> it's black and white? It is. You know, we need to find black and white in these issues as best as we can in terms of right versus wrong. So again, let's go back to what is Satanism, religion for breakfast, and they're going to now talk about esoteric Satanism. Now remember the rational, the, what was it, the, let me just look at this, the, uh, yeah, rationalist Satanism was not believing in Satan as a being. Esoteric Satanism is the other side of it. This leads us to our other generalized category, esoteric or theistic Satanism. Esoteric Satanists still don't necessarily worship Satan, but they're much more likely to view him as an actual being that they can model their life around. Some scholars point to the Temple of Set as an example of esoteric Satanism. The founder, Michael Aquino, argued that Satan was a corruption of the Egyptian god Set, who he believed was a guide or teacher to humanity. Esoteric Satanist groups also practice a form of magic, and for example, the Temple of Set distinguishes between white magic and black magic and encourages all of its members to become experts in black magic. Great. <laughs> okay, so even the esoteric, even those who believe in Satan as a being, don't necessarily worship Satan, but again, follow the principles that Satan has laid out. And, you know, the idea, and we're not getting into it today, but the idea of black magic is, is, is manipulating things 
in a with a sense of greed and ego and darkness. That's and, har- and harm yes. often. Yes. Yeah. And so you got to be really careful to avoid those things. White white magic, look, let's not even go there either. That's not something you want to dabble with or think about because it's still trying to manipulate things that we have no business touching. So esoteric Satanism is the other side of it. So on both sides, Jonathan, there's still that theme of what does Satan bring to the table that we want to emulate? So let's do it this way. Perhaps the best example of rational human thought versus spiritual obedience is Jesus' own experience, his 40-day fasting experience and praying experience at the beginning of his ministry. Remember, he goes into the wilderness right after he's baptized for 40 days. Satan tempts him. Satan attacks him three different times. Satan's first attack is on Jesus' physical need. He was fasting and praying for days and days and days and days and days. So rational thought says, you're hungry, take care of your need. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, we're going to take it in pieces. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, it's interesting. Um, Satan's temptation starts with, if you are the son of God. You know, there's that personal prodding like, yeah, you know, you say you are. This would be a great way to prove it. But Jesus didn't even pay attention to that part. Does not even address it. His answer is based on scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. We won't read it right now. His reasons were based on an authority higher than himself. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's saying, look, it's the, the words of God are more important than the bread that feeds my body. This is what I'm here for. And really, Rick, Jesus looked beyond rational human thinking. He looked to godly thinking. He was hungry. He was legitimately hungry, and rational thinking says, you're hungry, feed yourself. So that's where we get to our PowerPoint for this particular uh, test that Satan brought to Jesus. What is it? Satanism is about humanity on the basis of being physical animals. Spiritually, rational thoughts are focused on the direction we are to go based upon God's providence. So our reaction to rational human thinking is, is it in accordance with God's providence? Because it's, if it's not, there's something for Christians called self-denial that we need to— Sacrifice? Yes, that we need mm-hmm. to adopt that overrides rational thinking. Okay, now Satanism says, no, 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 rational thinking, it's, it's you, it's what you want, it's what you need, that's the important thing. For us, no, 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 it's an entirely different approach to living. Okay, we have to override our human comfort. So, you've got that first temptation— After hearing Jesus' source of strength was God's word, because that's how Jesus answered him, he went right to what God had said, Satan now uses God's word to entice Jesus for the second temptation. And this is, again, Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be uh, doing verses 5 through 7 right now. 
Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And that's Rick from Psalms 91, 11, and 12. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So, you know, it's interesting that Satan goes and quotes Scripture. Yeah. That's a scary thing. When you think about it, you, you say, okay, he is not acting haphazardly. He is acting out of great discipline and great focus. Okay, so Satan is tempting Jesus. He quotes the book that he knows Jesus is going to. But Jesus says to him, on the other hand, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus uses scripture to counter inappropriate scripture application. Just because somebody reads a scripture doesn't mean it's appropriately applied. That's right. And we've got to be careful of that. Also notice, he address, his answer addresses the fact that Satan was inappropriately testing God by tempting Jesus a second time, because Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 6, 16. What does that verse actually say? Well, it says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. So you don't put him to the test again because you tested him once before. So Jesus is quoting that scripture, and it's kind of like saying to Satan, you know, you've tried once, it didn't work, you tried again, don't be putting God to the test all these times, because that's what God told Israel back in ancient human history. What's our PowerPoint here? Satanism sees the world as there for their satisfaction, tempting. uh, Spiritual rational thoughts are focused on the word as part of God's master plan. So our spiritually rational thinking focuses on the world, but not in the way that it's there for me. Instead, I want to fulfill my part in God's master plan. So Satanism says, no, it's all about you. You are the centerpiece, whereas spiritual rational thinking says, no, actually it's God's plan that's the centerpiece, and we need to be uh, living in accordance with that. Um, just real quick, Jonathan, there was a, um, a Facebook comment uh, regarding this subject, and it says, and this is very good, this, this Christian individual says, I guard against Satan, uh, I'm sorry, I guard against the dark side in many ways, from avoiding blatantly evil movies, TVs, books, etc., to shoring up my spiritual life by staying close to the Father in Jesus through the Bible and prayer. Gird up the loins of your mind. And I think that's a great, great admonition. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get your mind ready because this can be a fight because rational thinking is tempting. Absolutely. And worldliness is enticing. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is because it's about me. And so Satanism really is an, an extension of that great egotistical approach that we see so so dramatically in the world. Satanism is actually a religion that tries to build on that. Okay, that's really... That's scary. It is. It is. And you're right, and it is everywhere. Okay, let's go back to that interview, that late 70s, early 80s interview with Anton LaVey. And uh, they ask him interesting questions here. Listen, Listen to this. Mr. LaVey, many of your critics and opponents of Satanism say that you are a businessman and a humbug and you're doing all this just to make your money. You are a show businessman. Is that right? 
Well, I believe it's a Barnum and Bailey world. It's as phony as it can be, as the, to as the song, the popular song stated. And if I am a humbug, and I am a phony, then everyone else is a phony too. And I feel that you have to be a certain bit of a showman in the world in order to get ahead, in order to attain your goals. You have to get people's attention. And in order to deny this aspect of recognition that each of us has, every animal, every living creature wishes recognition in some form or another. This is the whole concept of the mating process, is to be recognized. I think to deny this is to be hypocritical and to be dishonest in the worst way. Okay, so, so Jonathan, what he's saying is really... <laughs> You know, it's all about showmanship. It's all about being recognized. And that's what humanity is built upon. It's me first, me first, me first. You know, it's interesting. Late 70s, early 80s are saying, so they say you're a humbug. I don't know that anybody would say that now. But. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, so it, it's an interesting perspective way back then that is permeating the world still even worse than it was then. So let's go on to the third temptation of Jesus. And Satan now is going to go for the glory. He's basically thinking, okay, he's going to tell Jesus, look, you can have it all. I know that's why you came here. You came to take the world from me. So I'll just give it to you. All you got to do is worship me. So we go to, uh, we're in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So Jesus stays with Scripture, and he authoritatively dismisses Satan. He uses Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. And Jonathan, it's interesting because Jesus essentially allowed those first two temptations, that first little bit of conversation, but at this point, it's like, okay, you are way over the line. There is no way I ever, in all eternity, worship you. And Rick, when he said, go, Satan, it's like, leave me. Yes. We're done here. <laughs> you know, and that's an important principle for us. We need to take Jesus' advice on that. And if we are feeling like there's too much dark influence, we need to be able to stand up just like Jesus did and say, go. You have no business here. And Jesus gives us a tremendous, tremendous example here. So what's our, our PowerPoint for these three uh, temptations of Jesus in the wilderness by Satan? Satanism entices our allegiance by appealing to our baser human desires. Spiritual, rational thoughts only see any attainable power and authority as directly sanctioned by God. So it comes down to what we seek is what God sanctions. No more, no less. It's that simple. It's that focused. Satanism wants you to do anything but, but our lives are everything and. Everything and what God sanctions, what is scriptural, where we belong in, these, in, in all of these matters. These are stark contrasts, and they tout, each tout a different part of what makes us human. Satan is clever. Looking at Jesus handling temptations is one thing. How do we put thoughts of Satanism away? There's a lot of talk program topics out there, 
If you're burnt out on Capitol Hill and Trump, don't worry. We never go there. But if you're looking for unique ways to look at the Bible, we'll make you think about how today's world ties into Scripture like you've never thought about before. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. Now that we have the basics of Satanism on the table and the highest best example of defeating Satan himself, we need to focus on the practicality of our own experience. Perhaps the most difficult part of this battle is knowing that subtlety on the part of Satan and his minions is a key battleground. Jonathan, it really, truly revolves around subtlety, and Satan is the great master of subtlety. So our next text is a classic warning against subtle satanic thinking permeating through the true church. The Apostle Paul begins by proclaiming his fatherly love for them and his single desire for their purity. We're going to the context of our theme scripture. We're going to be going to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're actually going to do verses 1 through 5. We'll break it up in pieces. And we're using the Weymouth translation um, because there are certain points that it just seems to make more clearly than others. So, Jonathan, let's start 2 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2. I wish you could have borne with a little foolish boasting on my part. Nay, do bear with me. I am jealous over you with God's own jealousy, for I have betrothed you to Christ to present you to him like a faithful bride to her husband. So this is a beautiful, sensitive, caring, fatherly admonition. I want you to be pure because you are betrothed to Jesus, and this is the highest privilege you could ever have in life. So he's setting up this beautiful, powerful, caring approach, and now he gets into his concern. And listen to the closeness with which it goes back to Satan's original deceptive prowess. Verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 11. But I am afraid that, as the serpent in his craftiness deceived Eve, so your minds may be led astray from their single-heartedness and their fidelity to Christ. He talks about Satan's craftiness with Eve. Craftiness. What, that, that word, Jonathan, what, is, what does it mean? Well, it means adroitness, that is, in a bad sense, trickery or sophistry. So he is beguiling. He knows how to get under your skin. He knows how to make you think about things that you normally wouldn't think about. So it tells us Satan's influence is a sophisticated trap designed to draw in those who are not intentionally alert. And the bottom line here is we have to think. We have to think intentionally about what we're looking at in our lives. And Rick, um, I just uh, on a personal note, and I, I definitely appreciated the comments uh, from Facebook um, earlier. Um, a, a week, week and a half ago, I was feeling low and kind of far away from the Lord and not where I wanted to be. And it was bothering me. And, and I had to do something pro. I just had to focus. I had to pray more. I had to study and read more. And I had to get myself back because for some reason I was lazy or tired. And I I've kind of drew myself away from where I needed to be. And it, it just happened. And I'm like, I don't like where I am. I, I, I've got to do something here and now to change this because I don't like my head and heart where they're at. 
So what you're saying is you really worked at being intentionally alert. You were kind of going along and you're kind of like, you know, going along to get along and you look around and say, wait, 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 time to time to do a a, a location check. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and where I am, uh, something's wrong here. And And the key point to overcome the subtlety of Satan and the subtlety of Satanism, which says, hey, rational thinking says, Jonathan, you've been under a lot of pressure. It's okay. Relax. It's all good. You just take it easy. Don't worry so much. Just just let your guard down a little bit. It's all right. Just really, really, don't worry. That's the flesh. That's Satanism at its core showing us how to step down from the standards that we need to be following. Great example that we all have to be aware of. So what's our PowerPoint for this part of the Second Corinthians 11 scripture? Even those who have single-hearted fidelity need to be on the guard against Satanism. You ha- even if... God is the only thing in your life, you still have to be on guard because Satanism is everywhere and the principles of Satanism, Jonathan, exist in our flesh. So we may not claim, I hope we don't claim to be Satanists, but we have Satanist potential inside of us. Got to be careful got to be careful. We're going to go to another soundbite. This is from um, a documentary that shows the rise of the Satanic Temple, which is, and this is from Inside Edition, this is another form of Satanism, very, very different in a lot of ways from the Church of Satan that Anton LaVey uh, was talking about uh, earlier. So this is about what's called the Satanic Temple. Are they evil or just misunderstood? The documentary, Hail Satan, explores those questions while following the rise of the Satanic Temple. Director Penny Lane says the creation of the film took her on a spiritual and educational journey. Within three years, they had at least 50,000 members. Um, And within six years, which is the amount of time the film covers, they have over 100,000 members. A goal of her film was to debunk myths and misconceptions about this religion. Modern Satanism is an atheistic religion. Um, There's no sort of belief in supernatural deities at the core. What they do have is a shared belief and understanding of the power of mythology, art, ritual uh, in everyday life, and in forming community and in allowing you to do good works in the world. So that was a big surprise um, because who knew? That's what Satanists believed. I didn't know. And a tenet of the religion is activism. The film shows how the Satanic Temple organizes to fight for equal representation of religions in government. Interesting, because with LeVay, if you remember when we looked at things in the second segment, his version of Satanism, and he is the founder, quote-unquote, was, you don't get involved in all of those things. Satanism is about me. It's about you and I deciding to be ourselves with our own rational thinking. And he was against activism and and statues and all of those things. And yet the satanic temple is exactly the opposite. So within the the opposing viewpoint are opposing viewpoints. And of course, I guess suppose they're going to say, well, the nothing is wrong because it's all rational thought. Well, you get into all kinds of trouble with that. Yeah, you just yeah. you just do it just it just doesn't belong. So it gives you a sense of that's where Satanism has come to in our day. And it's something that we need to be very, very, very cognizant of. So Paul, the Apostle Paul knows, going back to Second Corinthians 11, that there are those who don't have pure motives. And these individuals 
seek a following and seek to corrupt the single-hearted fidelity of those who do have pure motives for personal gain. That is why he is writing this particular part of 2 Corinthians, because he wants to put the brotherhood on alert. So verses 4 and 5 of 2 Corinthians 11. If indeed some visitor is proclaiming among you another Jesus, whom we did not proclaim, or if you're receiving a spirit different from the one you have already received, or a good news different from that which you have already welcomed, your toleration is admirable. Why? I reckon myself in no respect inferior to those superlatively great apostles. So he is talking to the Corinthians via letter and saying, look, um, if you are receiving some version of Jesus that I didn't tell you about, if you're receiving some version of power and influence that I didn't tell you about, if you're receiving a version of good news that I didn't tell you about, hey, I, I admire your ability to tolerate it. And I think he's saying, you probably don't know what to do with this because you've probably never seen it before, so you're okay. I admire your ability to tolerate it. And, but then he says something interesting. He said, just remember, I'm an apostle. So he's setting up to deal with this in a very, very big way. And again, Satanism is that rational thinking which tries to overtake anything spiritual. Because by definition, the two don't do well together. We've got to focus on either one or the other, and that's what was happening in the uh, early church. A couple of points here from, from uh, Albert Barnes in terms of verse 4. The main idea, doubtless, is that Paul felt that there was danger that they would be corrupted. If they could bring a better gospel, a more perfect system, and proclaim a more perfect Savior, there would be no such change. If they departed from the truths which he had taught them, it would be for the worse. It could not be otherwise. So what the, what the commentator is saying is, you go down that road, you are going down a road of trouble, period. There is no, there's no, well, well, maybe we should hear him out. No, it's not the gospel. You know, and the Apostle Paul had the authority to be able to say that. What's the PowerPoint for this section? The most eloquent twisting of truth for the sake of power is merely a result of satanic thinking. God's plan is firm. Think about what you are deciding to follow. It doesn't matter how eloquently somebody presents twisted truth. If it's twisted truth, it's twisted truth. Satan was the founder of twisting truth and has passed that on to others. And Satanism is great at that task. And we have to be careful in Christianity to make sure it's the pure simplicity of devotion to Christ and the original good news. I remember the, the angels announcing to the shepherds, good news of great joy, which will be to all people. Yeah. For unto you this day is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. If what you're learning and, and, and hearing is not that, be careful. And so, and where do we get that? We get that from Scripture. Scripture over tradition. Scripture over tradition. Scripture over tradition. We Got it. <laughs> hope so, because that's what we have to be focused on very, very clearly. Okay, so back to 2 Corinthians 11. We're going to skip some verses. So in the next several verses, verses 6 through 11, the Apostle Paul explains his position of authority as an apostle, because he just introduced that, his insistence on caring for his own needs while he was amongst the Corinthian 
uh, brotherhood, and his undying love for them in Christ. So he's saying, look, when I was there, I didn't bother you about anything. I supported myself and I supported others because that's the way I wanted it. I wanted to just be about the work of Christ with you, nothing more, nothing less. And that speaks volumes because that was his physical testimony. That's what gives him the authority to say what's next. He boldly proclaims his objective to protect the brotherhood and call out the enemies of Christ. So he is attacking the Satanistic principles which were attacking the brotherhood in 2 Corinthians 11, 12 to 15. But I will persist in the same line of conduct in order to cut the ground from under the feet of those who desire an opportunity of getting themselves recognized as being on a level with us in matters about which they boast. You know, you can tell that he's taking it personally here. Oh, he is. You know, well, if there's a corruption to the beauty that he's learned in Christ, it's offending his heavenly father. Yeah. yeah. He's going to stand up. He's going to make a point. And not only is he going to make a point, but he says, I am going to cut the ground from under their feet from them because the corruption has no place in Christianity. That's his clear-cut, absolute message. Satanism, the idea of rational human thinking, doesn't belong here. We're bound to something higher. Then he gets even more direct in verse 13. For men of this stamp are sham apostles, dishonest workmen, assuming the garb of apostles of Christ. So he's calling them out. He said, if you are hearing a different gospel, a different Jesus, and a different spirit, they are fake. Do not go down that road. And then verses 14 and 15. And no wonder Satan, their master, can disguise himself as an angel of light. It is therefore no great thing for his servants also to disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according with their actions. So he brings out the point. Satan himself can be disguised as an angel of light. They serve him. Now, look, these individuals were not worshipers of Satan. But by serving satanic principle, they were serving Satan. And make no mistake, we don't want that brand of Satanism anywhere near us. And he's saying Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. So can those who serve him. We need to be clear on what we stand for. What's our PowerPoint here as we end this segment? Satanism must be called out among God's faithful, for it has no place to reside here. Okay, it doesn't have any place to live. And this is a really important point as we begin or get ready to begin our next segment. It is so important to realize that wherever we go, the influences of Satanism are not very far away. Can Satan and his influence actually get inside of our heads? If so, how do we prevent it? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ Contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. It's important to distinguish between having an influence get into your head and having a demon possess your mind. We are absolutely and regularly susceptible to dark influences. Satanism's principles clearly stand against godliness. Demon possession? Demon possession 
is an entirely different matter. And Jonathan, we want to address that entirely different matter in this segment because there is a big difference between Satan's influences being around us, even entering into our own minds, and something like demon possession. So let's start out with being aware of Satan's influences being around us and even getting into our own heads. So first we need to establish that the battle that we're fighting is clearly beyond our own capacity. A great scripture that we've quoted many times that's very familiar to a lot of Christians is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So this is saying that the battle you're in the middle of fighting is bigger than you. You can't win unless, unless you realize it's bigger than you and you go to the strength that's able to deal with it. So there's several seriously important points here, Jonathan. What are they? Well, our strength is in God, not ourselves. That is fundamental. And, I, and look, I know we all know this, but how many times do we have to say it again and again to remind ourselves because our rational mind wants to be number one and just we just can't let it be? What's the next point? We must arm ourselves according, accordingly with his armor, not ours. You know, we each have, as human beings, our own set of armor, and think about that. Do the exercise. Think about your own life and how you protect yourself from this, that, or the other thing and the things that we do habitually. And then look at the armor of God and say, which one do I want to use? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the armor of God. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's full, it's covering, and it's filled with spirituality to be able to fight these things. And what's the last point? We wrestle against spiritual powers. This is beyond our human capacity. And yet God allows us to do it because he gives us the strength through his spirit. What's the PowerPoint here? Establish your mind with great intention, according to the word and will of God. Make sure that you don't just make a flippant decision or you made a decision one time before and you're just good with it because you already made the decision. Just like your personal experience, Jonathan. You said, you know, I'm going along and I look up and say, wait, 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 what, what's happening here? And you reestablished yourself. That's right. And, and it sounds to me like you kind of reexamined the armor that you're using and you traded off the bad stuff and got the that's real right. stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's, see, Satanism is everywhere. It doesn't have to be in a, a formal religion. It's everywhere. Rational thought about me from an animalistic standpoint. We have to fight against that. So we need to understand the battle is clearly beyond our own capacity. Secondly, we need to commit ourselves when we see a clearly righteous decision. This is important because sometimes it's gray, it's hard to figure out, but sometimes we have a black and white, here's what you need to do. Great example of a group not doing that is in 1 Kings 18, 21. This is when Elijah was set up to, to duke it out, if you will, with the prophets of Baal. And all of Israel is around them, and it's Elijah on one side, and 450 prophets of Baal, and 400 of their servants on the other side. Uh, it doesn't look like even odds. <laughs> what does Elijah say? Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. 
but the people did not answer him a word. Now, look, you give the people, you got to give them a little leeway because, wait, there's 850 men over there and there's you and you are saying in front of them. (laughs) But see, he had the power of God behind him. And that's what the people were missing at that moment. They were missing that the power of God was there and the power of God was bigger and stronger and more definitive than all of the, the, the mockings and all of the theatrics of Baal and his prophets. And, of course, we know the end of this was, was very bad for, for the Baal worshipers. So black and white choice. Sometimes it's not that easy for us. A lot of times we're in gray areas, and we have to really, really be careful and be clear in our thinking. What's our PowerPoint here? Envision the simplicity of just following God and then just follow him. You know, if we envision it simply that way, it doesn't have to be as hard as we make it. Envision the idea of following God and then just do it. And if, you know, when I was young and and we were teenagers, my uncle Tony used to come over and help us with uh, athletics and sports and exercise and all of this. And one of the things he would say is when you see something that needs to be done, just do it. Don't think. Just do it because it's the right thing. Just do the right thing. You know, and he would say, jump to the challenge before you can think. Nice. Yeah, and I like that, because when you have the sense of righteousness, jump to righteousness before you talk yourself out of it. Just (laughs) jump to it. Satanism can't exist if we adopt that kind of an attitude. So, you know, we talked about committing ourselves clearly to the righteous decision. We talked about the battle being beyond our own capacity. Satanism and its thinking can easily influence us. And we've said that constantly throughout this entire podcast. We are humans, and because we're humans, we're susceptible to Satanistic thinking. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 is very powerful about talking about our times and how Satanism is prevalent. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to, to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by the means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences as with a branding iron. And Rick, this reminds me, if, if you tell a lie long enough, you become numb to the truth. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the, the imagery of having your conscience seared as with a branding iron you know, that kills the nerve endings. There's no feeling. And if our conscience has no feeling toward godliness, then where are we? The interesting thing about this scripture is it says some will fall away from the faith, meaning that they were there, but they paid attention, Satanism at work, they paid attention to deceitful spirits, bad influences, and the doctrines of demons. And, you know, the the churches unfortunately, are filled with many doctrines that are not founded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We won't get into them now, but we need to understand. We need to find the pure gospel as best as we can understand it and stay with it. What's our PowerPoint here? Elevate your spiritual conscience regularly as the shifting sands of social freedom and expression can wear down a stagnant spiritual mind. Don't allow your mind to be like stagnant waters because that's where a lot of bugs gather and life does not flourish as well. When you stir the waters up, that's where you get life. We Go ahead. And, and Rick, uh, being stagnant reminds me of meditation. Um, meditation teaches empty your mind or rest your mind of thoughts. And this, being stagnant, 
could be an open door for satanic influence to enter. So we need to be very careful if we're emptying ourselves and don't have the Lord, the, the focus of righteousness, uh, of, of what we want to accomplish to please the Lord. If we empty ourselves, this is where it gets dangerous. You know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because this is where we enter the realm of what demon can, possession can actually do. And you're right. First of all, there's something very powerful and very good about meditation if it's done in the right way. If it's not done in the right way, it is an open door for potential disaster. Okay, and so we're going to open that up as we go to Scripture because in these next verses it talks about what demon possession actually works like. So the demon possession question. We need to emphatically realize demons have limits. And folks, please understand that. They have limits. When our minds are focused on God's will and we have God's spirit working with us, we are off limits to them. They can't touch you by way of possession. They can influence you, but they cannot take your mind. Okay? How do we know that? Matthew 12, verses 43 to 45. Let's just start with verse 43. Now, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. So an unclean spirit is cast out of a man. Jesus is giving us a description of something that goes on in the spiritual realm that we don't understand. It is kind of like homeless, if you will, okay? And it shows that it has limited powers. Waterless places means that it's not being refreshed somehow or other. Now, what does that exactly mean? I don't know. All I know is that it wants to possess. Demons want to possess. So what they do is they look for relief. They look because if they get a sense of that, they want it back. Once relief is found, as the next scriptures will tell us, they seek to bring that relief to others of their kind. And folks, we're talking about dark stuff here. Verses 44 and 45. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds us unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. Here is how Jesus describes it. This demon says, I will return to my house. I mean, think about that. That's, that's scary language. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to that mind where it was, it was cast out of and finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order, that's like an invitation f- to, you know, giving them permission to enter. So, Jonathan, here is where we tie in the idea of meditation. When you'd meditate and say, okay, empty your mind of all of these things and just empty your mind and just let your mind be empty, the emptying is a really important step. But the emptied mind should not be left. It needs to have replacements put into there. You need to have scriptural promises or prayer or praise, something that lifts our minds higher so it's not empty for that. Any, so anything uh, can, can come through. It's like, it's like being on the internet and not having a firewall. Okay. You know, you can say, well, you know, I'm just searching. I'm not going anywhere I shouldn't be going. Yeah. Good luck with that. Without virus protection, without a firewall, you're going to get in trouble. We can and should meditate 
but it's not at the point of emptying our minds. It's emptying and then filling immediately with godliness. That is where we find the peace that passes all understanding. If we do that, folks, demon possession doesn't come our way. It just it can't. You understand God's spirit is far, far more powerful. We don't give permission to enter, and it can't enter. It's that simple. So, Jonathan, what is our final PowerPoint for this podcast? Eliminate any and all possibilities for Satan and Satanism to exert their influences on your mind by dwelling in the goodness of God's spirit and righteousness. Where do you live? If you live in the goodness of God's righteousness and the goodness of his spirit, that is a place that we can dwell safely, securely, and we can reach out to others from there to invite them to have part in this. Don't let Satanistic thinking touch you. Rational thought is human. It's inherited. You've got it. What do we do with it? Let us not allow ourselves one moment of Satanistic process to start to build in our own minds. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. This has been an important subject. We want you to take it and hold on to it and remember that Satanism is what you make it and you can crush it in your own life. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher. Whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, entirely different kind of subject. You're going to love this one. Simple question. What can we learn from Gideon? Well, who was Gideon? That's a great question. We'll find out. Talk to you next week.